Welcome back to That's a Good Word, a podcast designed to assist and equip people through advice from those in ministry. If you are blessed by our content, we really appreciate if you liked and subscribed. Today we have on Trent Henson on the podcast. He is the pastor at Washington Baptist Church, has a wonderful wife, Scotty, and a 10-year-old daughter named um, Kareth. Kareth. Trent, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Glad to be here. I'm excited about it. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about what's going on in Washington right now and what you'll have going on. Okay. Well, yeah, Washington is a wonderful place. I'm blessed to be their pastor, um, and it's growing right now, although we've been through a lot of transition with changing of staff members, uh, me included. Uh, but we are growing, uh, having two more baptized uh, this coming Sunday, so it's just an exciting place to be and looking forward to what God's going to do in 2023. Right. That's awesome. Y'all talk, talked about some of the staff changes y'all have had going on. Yes. Yeah. Washington uh, had a staff in place for many, many years with no turnover, which was a blessing. And then everything changed at once, uh, I guess because they all aged out in a sense. But uh, our music leader, worship leader, had been there really over 30 years. And um, our pastor, Drew Hines, was there for over 20 years. Associate pastor, Drew Price, was there for 16 years. And our youth minister, which was part-time, uh, he was there over 16 years. And so... It, in the last two years, they have retired, um, all of them, uh, from their roles in ministry. And um, so now we have a new staff in place. I'm, I'm the pastor. Uh, we have a new associate pastor that was just named really last Sunday. It's his first day. Uh, we have a new full-time youth minister who really started full-time the week before that. We've got a new music leader, worship leader, um, and he has been there, I guess, about a year and a half uh, with me. So it's it's a relatively new staff, and the Lord saw us through all the transitions. We just kept going and didn't miss a beat, and that's God, Absolutely. Not, not me. Absolutely. So, it's exciting when there's a lot. I mean, they they all leave kind of at the same time? Yes, um, sort of. Um, I don't I guess I want to know what, how we want to work my story in here, but uh, yes, within all within a, a year, wow. they all huh. basically retired. Right. So one, one at a time. Wow, that's... That's all. I mean, it's exciting always when there's mm -hmm. when when you see when you see change and um, obviously disappointing to see people leave. But and I'll say this: a blessing with Washington is they've all stayed in our fellowship. Wow. Um, okay. Except for Drew, the, the pastor. Right. Uh, Drew, I think wanted to stay, but he felt it best to yeah. get away from the scene. Uh, and he's actually doing an interim right now in Spartanburg. But um, all the others stayed in our fellowship and our family at Washington and are still there every Sunday. Wow, that's awesome. So we'll kind of jump into that, your, your, your story, your testimony, um, how you got into ministry, and then what's, and how, going up to what we have going on now. Okay, yes. So I'm, I'd say my story is kind of unconventional from a lot of people, because I was a history teacher. I went to school at USC Spartanburg, USC Upstate now, and I was going to be a history teacher. That's what my dad did, my brother did. And so uh, I started out in public schools. Um, teaching history, and then switched to teaching in Christian schools, where I taught uh, at Spartanburg Christian Academy, which is at First North over there in Spartanburg, and taught history classes, grades 5 through 12, and a few Bible classes there. And then from there, I learned about the ministry of the Greer Christian Learning Center and the Blue Ridge Christian Learning Center. And if you don't know about that ministry, it's an incredible ministry. Um, where I got to teach the Bible to students in public schools. You right. were one of those. Absolutely. Trent taught me when I was a young, immature high schooler. So he, <laughs> he definitely needed your prayers back then. But um, now it was it was an awesome time, and I learned a lot and kind of helped. Even I had a foundation, but even laid more of that foundation into now. So I, it was it was awesome time, and you dealt with us when we were and, and I was a difficult kid to deal with. So and I appreciate no, it. No, we I were it was awesome. Great student and. Uh, so I taught there at the, at the Blue Ridge Christian Learning Center, Greer Christian Learning Center, taught the high school classes uh, for seven years. And during that time, I decided I would go to seminary. So I went to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in, in Louisville, did most of that online, uh, some in person in the summers, and um, just really to teach the Bible better. I had no intentions at all of ever being a pastor and enjoyed my time at seminary. I graduated in 2017. And... Um, in December 2017, so in 2018, people started calling me and asking me to fill in to preach different places, which was a new thing. I had never really, I mean, I had taught the Bible, I had spoken at youth events and things, but I never really stood behind a pulpit in the church and preached until really March of 
2018 and um, preached, enjoyed it. And then I started filling in for a few interims who were out that would call me. Mm -hmm. And then Northwood Baptist Church in Greer, not far from where Washington is, uh, their pastor left abruptly. Somebody gave them my name and I went and preached one Sunday and they asked me to come back the next and then the next. And I ended up being their supply pastor for four months. And that was really my first pastoral experience. And during that time, I was uh, going back to my pastor, Drew, at Washington and was asking him about what was going on in my life and what I should do because I was feeling this pull toward pastoral ministry. And he encouraged me, uh, but I did not feel a peace at Northwood. I loved the experience and saw fruit there, loved the people, but I just didn't feel like that's where God wanted me to be. And so they were looking toward getting an interim. And so I returned back to Washington. Um, in, I guess that was October of 2019, not knowing what I would do. And uh, in December of that year, our associate pastor, Drew Price, I mean, Drew Joe Price, uh, retired as associate pastor. And then a lot of people were saying, well, Trent, you need to be the associate pastor here at Washington. So I prayed about it, um, talked with Joe and with Drew, and um, then they formed a committee and I interviewed and I was named associate pastor at Washington Baptist Church in July of 2020, right in the middle of COVID. And uh, then Drew Hines, our pastor, retired in February 2022. So I got two years there as associate pastor at Washington, uh, learning under Drew. And then in officially in June of 2022, I was named pastor at Washington Baptist Church. So all my life changed, really, going from a teacher to the pastor at Washington in two years. Wow. I mean, it's just an amazing work of God that I can't explain. Right. One thing that you said that I found interesting um, was that you are the pastor of the church that you were a member of. And also you spent a lot of time serving in the church in different roles. And now you're a pastor. Talk about that experience and, and what was that like? Yes, that has, I think, meant a lot to my ministry at Washington. Um, you know, I, I grew up at Ebenezer Welcome Baptist Church. That's where my parents still go. I went there the first 27 years of my life, and I served there in many roles as the children's minister out of high school and uh, served as a deacon there. And uh, then when Scotty and I were fixing to have Kareth, uh, shortly after we were married, we were started looking at different churches. And when Kareth was on the way, we were looking for a church that had a, a thriving children's ministry that we can get a part of. So we came to Washington. And yeah, I was a member, been a member at Washington for 10 years now. Wow. And at Washington, I taught Sunday school there, uh, served on committees. I served as a deacon at Washington, uh, led the young adult ministry and um, fulfilled many roles. And that's why when the associate pastor thing came up, I mean, I already knew the people. I knew the culture of the church. Um, I knew pastor and could work well with him because he was my pastor for right. years. And then, of course, becoming during that interim time when I was the interim at Washington before I was named pastor and now I'm pastor, it's, it's really helped me, I think, because I can identify with the people in the pews because that was me mm -hmm. in that very pew. Um, so I know what it's like to serve as a deacon there. I know what it's like to teach Sunday school at Washington. And I know some people who are pastors that that's not their, their route. I know a pastor right now um, who, is, who never taught Sunday school in a church, who never served as a deacon in a church. And I think it's been helpful for me to experience working with children, working with youth, teaching Sunday school, serving as a deacon, uh, even serving as associate pastor, and especially all doing that in the church, which I'm now pastoring. That is a blessing. Right. Do you think that having that where you can say, I've been there before, when you're talking to a Sunday school teacher or deacon, does that help with your relationship with them? Do they see, a different, see you in a different light where they can say that you can relate to them? I would definitely say so. I mean, I think there's, there's a trust factor already there and that they know me and that I understand the culture of the church and the history of the church. Uh, so I think for a new pastor coming in, that's a lot of the difficulty is winning the trust of the people in a sense. Or with a new pastor coming in, they sometimes want to change definitely. things about the church. No. But at Washington, we were blessed with our leadership. The Lord was working. Our church was growing. It was a healthy church. 
Um, and so I knew all that. I knew the people. Um, and I already had a relationship with the deacons. And so I could step in and we could just continue to move forward in what we were doing. Um, and I'm, I'm different than Drew. And I'm a different personality and different things. And, and moving forward, there may be things that are different. There will be. But uh, it's not that I don't understand who the people are or, or that I'm wanting to change anything. Uh, so I think that's really helped that, yeah, when, when I, I know what it's like to, to serve as a deacon and when you talk to Sunday school teachers, I know the challenges of that and I know the, all the things that come with it. So I think it's been right. really beneficial to Absolutely. Me. And keeping the culture is, is, probably, is probably huge. I mean, making that transition from Drew to, to yes. you, keeping the culture in the church is probably, was probably great. I mean, it is because, you know, that's the thing is uh, a lot of times when a pastor does leave, it is for a reason. You know, right. there's something going on where there's maybe a conflict, and that was not at all Washington. Mm. Uh, Drew had been there over 20 years, had 40, over 40 years in ministry, and uh, it was really a shock to people when he announced his retirement. But, you know, he had served the Lord faithfully and wanted the, wanted the break from it. And um, I think also really looking back that he knew Washington could handle it. That was the thing is he didn't want to hang around past the time that he should be there where maybe they couldn't handle it. So he knew when he left that Washington was stable. The a culture of the church was there, that they were strong enough to handle the transition, and we were. Uh, but we didn't know what would happen. Right. Um, we just took steps in faith, and absolutely, the Lord moved. I imagine Drew was one of those mentors in your life. Did you have a few mentors that kind of helped you along the way? Yes. Um, I you need mentors, I think, no matter who you are, which, whatever your role is. But as a pastor, a young pastor, I'm relatively young, um, but definitely inexperienced. You know, I, Drew was a blessing to me because now I, I have a history with Drew, too, and that Drew was actually my pastor when I was at Ebenezer Welcome. I was four years old, uh, but that was actually Drew Hines' first church out of seminary was Ebenezer Welcome Baptist wow. Church. So. Um, I was four years old at the time, but I remember Drew. Uh, my dad was a deacon at the time. He was on the pulpit committee that called Drew to Ebenezer Welcome. So I knew Drew. He was there almost two years at Ebenezer Welcome. So I knew of him when he went to Pleasant Grove and then to Washington and different places. So I, I knew who Drew was, but I didn't have a close relationship with him. So when I did come to Washington, obviously he knew me. And when I joined, I said, I want to be serving. I want to be teaching in Sunday school. and so we had a good relationship right off. And when it came to being a pastor, I knew nothing. I mean, I was coming out of teaching history and some Bible into the pastorate. And so he was there to encourage me during that time at Northwood. Um, I had been able to be his associate pastor for two years and ask him questions about preaching and about visitation and how to manage deacons meetings and things like that. And I had witnessed it in the meeting, but it's different getting his viewpoint. Um, so yes, he was a huge mentor to me. Um, Joe Price, our associate pastor, uh, he was actually the, the lead of the Greer Christian Learning Center. So he was technically my boss uh, while I was teaching. Right. So I had a good relationship with Joe. Um, Walter Johnson, which you probably know Walter. Uh, Walter yeah. was my pastor at Ebenezer Welcome. He's the one that baptized me at Ebenezer Welcome when I was eight years old. Uh, Walter has always been a mentor to me, and I called Walter and talked to him every step of the way when I was thinking about seminary. I called Walter when I was at Northwood. I called him for advice when I started my roles at Washington. Talked to Walter. Um, so I've always loved him and thought highly of him. And um, another guy that really meant a lot to me that's a mentor, and he's actually younger than me, is Nick Ballinger. Uh, Nick, I met at Spartanburg Christian Academy. He was the Bible teacher there when I was teaching history. And I uh, just watched what Nick did and the way he interacted with students. And I was drawn to him. And I just said, teach me what you know. Um, and I would say Nick was really the person that got me into thinking about seminary and even going to seminary, that I would not be where I am today without Nick's influence on me, just coming alongside me and helping me understand the Bible and encouraging me to take steps that I wouldn't have taken. Right. One thing I like to always ask pastors is if you could go back to maybe when you were just starting out ministry as an associate pastor, what advice would you give yourself now? Yeah, I would tell myself, first of all, 
to keep good, um, organize your notes and things and keep good track of what you've already done. Uh, that's a weakness of mine. Even teaching at the Learning Center, teaching Sunday school, I didn't really save any of my stuff. You know, I would just teach it. Even things I typed on the computer, I'd hit print, not save it. Um, so I've learned every little thing that you teach, especially when it comes to Bible teaching, every little thing you do, you can use later on, you know, and I, and I think in my head, well, I'll remember that. Of course you don't. Um, so as associate pastor, I'd get a couple of opportunities to preach when Drew was out or Drew would just let me preach. And then I was thinking, man, I know I, I did this in class at the learning center. Where is it? And I'd look it on my computer. I couldn't find it. I looked through a stack of papers, didn't have it. So definitely keep what you've done or be organized so you can use, look back at it and use it. So I learned that early on and I've tried to do that in this pastor role definitely is uh, there are even bits and pieces of sermons you can use in other places. Uh, right. So that would be one for sure. Um, and I, I would say too, again, find, find good mentors. I mean, I did that. Yeah. They came to me, God provided, but definitely look for those people been there and done that, that you can learn from their mistakes and their successes and, and kind of make it your own. Those Absolutely. Two things for sure. Absolutely. We'll kind of segue now on the first topic we want to talk about is um, expository preaching and, okay. and, and really the basics of what that is. I was listening to your sermon a couple of weeks ago, First Corinthians, and, and, and I love the way this set up. You have to under, understand the division going on in the church in the context of what's going on there and the different leaders that come through, whether it's Paul or Apollos or Peter, and, and why there is um, so much division. And, and that kind of brings that. What, what are, and this is kind of just a, a broad question, but when you say, when we talk about expository preaching, for those that don't know what that is, what is expository preaching? Yes, I, I really learned of expository preaching in seminary. Um, I had never used that term or expositional preaching. They call it different things, but it's just expounding the word of God. Um, and after getting courses on that in seminary, I realized that a lot of times when I taught or when I did a, I guess, a mini sermon of sorts with classes that I was not doing that. It was more like, here's what I want to talk about. Let me find where that is in the Bible. Let me then just use that to share what I think's right. Uh, so um, after going to seminary, and one thing I'm committed to as a pastor and in preaching is, well, I would say expository preaching is making sure the, the main point of the passage is the main point of the sermon. Hmm. Letting the word speak for itself or letting God speak for himself. So looking at the text and letting the, the word do the work, that's one of my things that I've learned is uh, letting the word speak for itself. So I want to say, what does, what does this passage say? What is it actually telling us? Um, and then what does the passage mean? Because I think the, really the passage of scripture has one meaning. It's what was the original author uh, intending when he wrote that scripture. And that's right. the meaning. And then how do we apply that? And you can have, there's one meaning, but I think there's multiple applications mm -hmm. of how it rolls out in our lives and the implications of it. And so when I preach, I want the word to speak. Um, I try to just expound what's there. All of my points, I want to come from the text in scripture. Um, I keep my Bible open and I want them to keep their Bible open. When I do a point, I usually state the verse it's coming from. And I'll say, look at verse whatever. Because I want them to know this isn't Trent's opinion. This is God's word. So that's the way I, I do preaching. That's what I'm committed to is I stay within the confines of the pages on Scripture. Right. So it's text driven and you're really kind of more just a mouthpiece for God's that's word it. ultimately. So one thing I think is, is you, have a, you have this view of context, right? And you have to set up the context yes. of, what, of, of where you're going. And you have kind of two camps, right? You have unbelievers or an atheist that would say the Bible was written 2000, in some cases, the Old Testament, 6,000 years ago. Um, we, we can't apply any of it. And then you may have some on the other side where there are some people that say the Bible was written 2000 years ago, so it can basically mean whatever I want it to mean. Mm -hmm. We don't need to take the original context into play. Talk about kind of the importance of, of understanding the original context of the yes. passage. Very good. Uh, yeah, my thing when you read the Bible, I think you got to think culture, context, and content. So they need to know the culture of when the passage was written. That's important to know what's going on and what some of those 
terms or the settings about uh, the city they're in or the, even the past of the author. Um, even in the four gospels, you know, the four writers are unique. And I think they each, each of the four have their angle that they're coming at to show us who Jesus is. And they have an intention that is their person, personality coming to life through, their, through how they write. And all that's important. So when I preach before my sermons, what I always do, and I've had a lot of comments about this, that people enjoy this, is um, on Sunday mornings a lot, I would just pick a, a passage I think we need to hear. You know, I pray about what, what's going on in our church and what the Lord's trying to tell us. And so we may, like the one you're referencing the other, other week, I was in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And so I'd say, well, let me set the scene of where we're going to jump into Scripture because I just don't want to say, turn to chapter two and start reading. I want to know what the book is about. So I usually give an intro, a quick two sentence or three sentence intro to say, well, first Corinthians is written by the apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. He had established this church on his missionary journey and try to give him a little bit of background as far as the book. And then take a step into chapter one and say, when he starts, this is what's going on in chapter one. So that when you get to chapter two, you know his train of thought and his flow of thought. Uh, so that you're just not saying open the chapter 12 of this book and we're reading here and you just pick up cold. So that's what I do every time I preach is I set the scene because I want them to understand the context because you need to know what the writer was thinking, what he has said before, where he's headed with it. And of course, ultimately how it all points to Christ. That's the purpose of it. But yeah, that's highly important. Um, and that'll help you get the meaning of the passage and what he's trying to say. So as you say, some people, I think the dreaded thing uh, when you study the Bible is to be in a group and they say, well, let's read the passage. Now, what does that mean to you? And what does that mean to you? And we all come up with our own meaning. Right. And I think they're, they're meaning well with that, but they probably should say, well, what does it mean? And now, how do you apply that to you? There's a difference between the meaning and the application. And so if you look at the, through there and say, okay, what's the scene? What's the context? What's happening? That'll help you understand what the author is saying and then ultimately what it means. And then now how can I apply that meaning to my life? Right. So yeah, the, the context, the culture, the, all that works together to find the, the meaning of the text. Yeah. So the goal is to find what the original author meant by it. And, and really that's saying, what did God mean by it? That's when, right. You know, when he wrote that's it, right. the original author. Mm -hmm. um, but the application is more, we can make a lot of, we can make different applications from it. And it may, what is, so you say it may be different than the ones that they made in 2,000 years ago, that they, the applications they would make from it, would, you, would it be different in some cases? Uh, it could maybe as far as application, but I mean, it's going to be along the same lines as far as personally yeah. how it works in your life. Right. What I see in the past I've seen, I'll say, is, you know, some people read a story and they can come up with a meaning that I don't think, or an application that's not. Um, how even like, well, Jesus calmed the storm and they're in the boat. And it's night, the storm gets up and then Jesus calms the storm. And you could say, well, the lesson I learned from that is don't go out on, on the sea at night. You know, but that's, that's not why Mark put that in, in, right. in chapter four. The purpose is to teach you something about the power of Jesus, that he is God himself. And that the, the disciples should have known where he says, oh, you have little faith. You know, and they say, well, who is this man? Even he can calm the wind and the waves. So the point of the passage is not to teach you about going out at night on a boat or that storms are dangerous on the sea. The point of the passage is that Jesus must be God in the flesh because he can control the weather. Now, how do I apply that to my life is when I'm out there on the sea and trouble hits, do I believe that Jesus is there in my boat with me? Do I believe that he can speak calm into my life or into my situation? Do I really trust that he knows what I'm going through and that he can, he can, he's the one I need to go to in, in confidence. Those are, and I could get as specific as I want to in that for my application. And you may apply that slightly differently depending on your situation, but it's going to be the same meaning for both of us. Okay. Yeah. And really the same application just depending on how, what's going on in our life at that time. Right. Absolutely. That's a really good example. Um, and, and to think about that. Another thing I was, I was curious is, um, we're talking about two different things here. We'll talk about first, how do you prepare for a sermon throughout the week? And then I also kind of want to talk about if for the congregation, how do you expect them to prepare for a sermon? So kind of we'll start with how do you prepare for a sermon um, each week? 
And uh, you do, and you do three different sermons yes. every week, so it's 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 time say, management thing. That is uh, one of my challenges that I've experienced in this. Is I went from preaching zero sermons, really as associate pastor, I might preach every blue moon, to now preparing three sermons a week because we have Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, um, and so you know, and and Drew Hines, my pastor, uh, gave me good advice when I started. I remember my ordination service. He said that um, when you're a pastor, you have to prepare for your sermons. He said it's a lot like having a baby on Sunday and getting pregnant on Monday. <laughs> so you just start right over oh. again. You know, there's no downtime. So I struggle, honestly, with what to preach. So I think step one for me preparing for a sermon is to pray. Uh, Wednesday night and Sunday night, a lot I'll go through books of the Bible because uh, I enjoy that. And it gives me place that I know I'm going to go to preach. On Sunday mornings, I like to leave it open to what our church is dealing with or what's going on right now or, or something that's just on my heart that I think we need to hear. And so I, of course, pray. I seek God's will for uh, what the passage needs to be, what he wants to speak through it. Um, but then I, I go, I just spend time in that passage, read it over and over. I look for uh, key words repeated words to help draw out that meaning. Um, of course, look at original languages in Greek and Hebrew. What do the word actually mean? Um, look at different translations either, even of how it's translated, different English translations of the Bible, just to try to get what is it really saying uh, and what does the passage mean? And then one thing that I'm big on when reading the Bible is finding those little connector words, and especially Paul is great at how he does his flow of thought mm -hmm. in scripture, where he'll say uh, for, F-O-R, which is saying because, or so that, or therefore, you know, all those, um, a good example that I always think about is uh, 2 Corinthians 5, where I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it's hard to find a starting point to start preaching because everything builds on the passage before it. Right. So it'll start with the word for, or so that, or therefore, and you're like, okay, well, then I'm going to have to go back to the one before that, before that, before that. And you, it's hard to even find the beginning point. But I, I think that helps me get again what God or what the author is saying there is he is building a flow of thoughts. So if you ever see that, therefore, that's going to be your result. This is what has happened because of something else. And a lot of times that therefore may even be the central point of the passage. Therefore, you need to do this. And it's because of whatever happened earlier in the passage. So I look for that as far as organizing my sermon as I look at the text and, and try to find the flow of thought so that my points are easily seen so that they come from Scripture so that I can kind of just build on the argument that's there. Because what I really try to do as I prepare a sermon is just um, read what God wrote. That's, how I, that's my angle on it. Uh, so prayer, looking at the words, knowing the text well, um, then trying to find those application points of just if this is the truth, then what are two or three things that we could apply? And I always try to put an application in my sermon to where it's not just this is what the Bible says, but now what do I need to walk out the door doing? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my preparation and my thoughts going into the week and spending time in that passage. Right. And I imagine that if you're on Sunday nights and Wednesdays, when you go through a, an entire book, you can say, if, you're, if it's three weeks later, you can say, hey, look back to when we talked about three weeks ago, and you kind of can, can make those connections. And do you find that people, that that's helpful, that they can make those connections from earlier parts in the letter or the narrative? Definitely so. That's, that's my goal anyway. I hope they are. Right. But yeah, I think so. Um, so I've, I, I really enjoy preaching through books of the Bible. That's what, because you do get it in context. And it's not like you're just picking a topic mm -hmm. to preach on. You run into the topic in context. So it's, you know, some of these even topics you don't want to preach on, but they're there. So right. it's like, okay, well, here's this topic now. So I'm going to have to address this. Um, and, but you see it in, the, in whoever the writer is, Paul or Mark or whoever, but how God in, intended it in that setting. So to that particular people, here's what they were dealing with, and now here comes the topic. So I think all that helps us understand how God works, how all that rolls out in our life, how we can apply it better, and it builds, just continually builds.
Right. And even if you got the same writer like Paul, if you did one of Paul's books, they even overlap to another one because the teachings haven't changed. He's the same guy. It's just the church has changed. So he's going from Corinthians to Galatia. You know, it, it, they have different things happening in their church, but Absolutely. it's still the same truth. So you can always build on it. Absolutely. One thing I think that uh, may not be talked about enough is, is the congregation, how they can prepare for a sermon. And especially if you're going through a book of the Bible where you, as a member of the congregation, you know what's going to be talked about next week. How would you, as a pastor, how would you like the congregation to prepare for a sermon each week? Okay. Yes. Um, I like for them to know what I'm preaching. Sometimes I don't know what I'm preaching. That's the problem. Oh, and so on Sunday mornings, you know, we put my sermon in the bulletin with the title and the passage, but I have to have it in by Thursday morning. And there have been times where I didn't know what I was preaching on Thursday morning. And so we get there Sunday morning and some people say, well, what's the sermon on? What's the sermon on? Why is it not in the bulletin? And I have to say, well, that's on me because I didn't know till Friday night what I was really preaching. I had different things and I was just torn. So it is good that they know ahead of time. So if I am going through a book of the Bible, they know what's coming next. They know right. it's that chapter. I think it's good if they can read ahead or go ahead and look at it, know in their own minds what the passage says. So when I'm going through it, they're not just hearing it for the first time. They've already thought about it. And, um, and I would say, you know, we think about hearing a sermon is just our ears. But I think there's a lot more to really listening to a sermon. Um, is I want to look with their eyes. I want them to actually see what the Bible says. I want them to keep their Bible open. Uh, and I mentioned this earlier, but I think, you know, some people will preach, they'll read the scripture, close their Bible, and then they talk for 30 minutes. I just think there's something off about that to me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I leave my Bible open and I want their Bibles open. So I want the Bible in their lap. And I want, when every point, I want them to see with their eyes. You know, I think of the people in Berea. When, when Paul went through there, he said that they searched the scriptures daily to see what he said was true. And that's what I want them to do during my sermon. Is when I'm preaching, I want them to have their eyes on that scripture. And I want them to really ask me in their head, where is he getting this from? Mm. You know, am I seeing what the preacher's seeing? Because you should, you know. And so I want them to, to listen with their eyes and follow. And I want them to listen with their hearts. Is when they come that day, I hope they have prayed before they've walked into the church. Um, I hope they come with the right mindset of I'm here to worship with God's people. I'm here to hear God's word. I'm here to sing. I'm here to walk out changed. So I hope they listen with their hearts and say, I, I want my heart to be open and acceptive to this. Um, you know, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, you know these verses because we learn them at the learning right, center. Right, absolutely. I'm sure you could quote this, but where it says, all scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the servant of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want them to think that. Is, I want to listen to my heart and say, well, how does this teach me? Mm -hmm. How does this rebuke me? Um, how does this correct what I'm doing in my life? How does this train me to be righteous? So I hope they're coming with that mindset of wanting to hear God's word, mm. to know it's God's word, and then to walk out transformed. It's not just information, it's transformation. And then I'd say, uh, use their hands, listen with their hands. I want them taking notes. Right. I want them to yeah. be thinking if there's something that I said or a piece of the verse, write that down or even write something down that that spoke to you and say, this is something I need to work on. And then lastly, listen with their feet, put it to action. So when they walk out of the door, they've got something that they've heard from God's word that they need to do that week. Yeah. Um, that's how I want them kind of listening to a sermon, preparing for a sermon, is to have that mindset. So it's not just listening with our ears, but hands, our, our eyes, our hearts. Definitely. Our and, it, and it goes back to what we talked about earlier. When you're trying to, if, if all we do is take the Bible, read it, and then close it, and then just say whatever. We, we think it means we, we don't, we aren't able to do any of those things. Um, but being, being both prepared and involved in the sermon, kind of like you were talking about taking notes, listening, listening with your eyes and, and searching the scriptures. I think that's, that is very good practice. I mean, that is, that is good advice because I, I definitely have the tendency just to, when I'm listening to a sermon, just to, to listen. But I notice that if I take notes, I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't stop. I, I, I stay involved. It's easy to get distracted when you're not taking notes. So um, I got I got a, I got a new Bible this this Christmas. It's a, it's um a 
journal, a journaling Bible. So yes. it has spots on the on left mm-hmm. and right, reckon right. So kind of, I've kind of been selfishly uh, talking about it a lot because I'm really I'm really excited about that one. So. Yes, and I've got one of those, but um, my family's working on for Kareth, my daughter, uh, that we uh, have passed it around to our family and have them write like highlight a verse and out beside it write why that's one of their favorite verses. Okay, and at well. some point. I don't know, when she graduated high school or something, we'll we'll give her that Bible. This that's guy, really cool. Our thoughts on different stuff. Absolutely. That's really cool. So I'm a big fan of journal Bibles. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and it's cool because you can go back when you're reading a passage and you can go back and you can see even a year ago, hey, what did I think, what, what was I writing about this a year ago? That's right. And you can see that you can also see the growth and maybe your understanding and, and different types of things. That's that's a really good idea. What you're doing, what you're doing for your daughter. So all all your family members. Yes, we pass it around to my parents, my my wife and her parents. Wow. Um, our our siblings, my brother and and my wife's brother, and just have all of them kind of highlight their favorite verses or write out beside why that verse meant something during this specific time. Um, different verses that we have read to her over the years. Uh, and we'll highlight it. Um, read the verse that she was born. Um, we can have a testimony on all that. We we had trouble. Ha- have, we didn't have trouble getting pregnant. We have trouble having a child. We had two miscarriages. And so um, verses that we clung to and verses that we even prayed the day that she was born. So we've highlighted that and said this is the verse that we both were praying that the, the day that you were born. Stuff like that. That I think's showing her that her family have Christian faith that they trusted God's word and that it, it was, God was there for them through his word in different times in their life. Absolutely. One thing we talk, and this is, we didn't talk about this before, but I kind of want to bring it up is um, just one thing you instilled in, in us in, in Bible basics um, and that I've always been impressed by you is the importance of scripture memorization and how you instill that. Talk about for those that are trying to memorize scripture, um, strategy you use and then how how do you how do you suggest people should try to memorize scripture and, and what scriptures to memorize and stuff like that okay yes now i'm big on scripture memory and um hey, that, that's tough on people because i'll say i'm i have kind of a memorization mind i can memorize things pretty well right i think my brother can too it's just a gift we have so scriptures stick in my mind and i, I it's not hard for me to memorize things now other people it's difficult but I do think it takes time and dedication to do it. So I don't know if there's any trick to it, but I would just say keep a note card around or a sticky note, put it wherever you see it yeah. and work on it throughout the day, meditate on scripture. Um, but I, I want to memorize the word because I think, well, first of all, I think the word does the work. As I said, that, that word is what really saves. And that's why I have such a focus on even preaching is it's the word. The Holy Spirit wrote that word, and when you preach the word or, or use that word, he will go forth and he will lead people to salvation through it, and he will bring you comfort. So for me, there are verses in my life that I tried to memorize, you know, just five or six ministry verses, you know, something about that may be an encouraging verse or a plan of salvation, using maybe the Romans road. Um, so Romans 6.23, it's one of my favorite verses. Uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I just take it a phrase at a time. And for the wages of sin is death, and that'll be in my mind. And you go to the second part. That's that's how I memorize scripture. But I think we need scripture in our minds. You know, that the word saves. Where Paul says in Romans 1:16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. That word brings salvation. And I'm sure you can testify to times where you're talking to individuals and a scripture that maybe you memorized a long time ago, it comes into your mind mm-hmm. um, that God puts in your mind to help somebody in that moment. For sure. Yeah. And that's how it works. I think that's what the Holy Spirit does in a sense. Right. When, you, when you really do commit to learning God's word, I think you're rewarded for it. And it will be in there. When you need it, it'll be there. Um, and there's been times, yeah, that somebody will go through a, through something and then I'll have a scripture that pops into my head. And I say, hey, well, God's word says this. You know, and I even try to, to use word verses in my prayers. That's one thing I've tried to do too is, you know, if, if I am worried about something, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious or worried about anything. But in every, um, in every 
thing by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your request to God and the peace of God will come into you, the peace of God that passes all understanding. Things like that, whatever it is, I want to have a verse that goes with whatever I'm dealing with. I mean, I can't do it for all of them, but there are just certain things like that that I think that's why they're there. You know, that um, if you're in, in a time of panic, you know, Psalm 46.1, my God is my refuge in uh, 46.1, yeah, my God is my refuge in strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. I mean, we need stuff like that. And, and I stick with a lot of the short ones. You know, I don't, there are long passages out there I've, I've tried to commit to memory. But if you just have a, a few verses, five or six in your mind, they will not only help you, but they will help somebody else. And um, the Roman road, Romans road, I think, is really good to have in your mind to where if, if you are trying to just to share the gospel, I don't want to just tell them. I want them to show it again where it is in Scripture. So if you can go through Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23 and Romans 5.8, Romans 5.1, even Romans 10.9, you can, and they're, and they're all short verses that I think we can memorize if we put our minds to it. Right. If we desire it. Absolutely. But I don't have a trick for it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just repetition time. over time, I guess. Just yes. So. Uh, committing to it. That's one. We know at our church, we have a WANA for children and uh, it stresses memory verses for children. Right. And they learn a verse a week. And um, I have seen the fruit of that to where when they get to be teenagers, those words are still there. Absolutely. Those verses are there. Absolutely. So, and, and, and the other thing we want to talk about today, um, the other main topic we want to go into is the importance of visitation. And that is something that is a priority for your ministry and, and at Washington. But it's not always a priority for every pastor, um, but I think it should be. And, and why, why is um, visitation a priority for your ministry and for Washington? Yes, when um, at Washington, this goes back to Drew, Drew Hines, our, our pastor. Um, Drew's thing was he wanted to preach and he wanted to visit. Um, and so visitation was a huge part of his ministry. And that's what the people at Washington know. It's what drew a lot of people to that church is they know that their pastor cares and that he'll be in their homes. He'll be at the hospitals. And uh, that's something that I also want to do. And so as their associate pastor, that's what I was trained to do is Drew and I were at the hospital, we're in their houses. And it wasn't necessarily that they were sick. And that was the cool thing about Drew. We'd be riding around. He'd say, hey, this is where whoever lives, let's pull in and talk to them. And just pull in and we spend yeah. an hour in their house just talking to them because we had to be going by their house. Um, and so visitation is expected at Washington by the pastor, but it's something that I would do anyway, even if that wasn't the culture of the church. And I think there's so many benefits to it is that, you know, they, they listen to you. They come and they sit on the pews and they listen to me preach. And I think visitation is a time for me to listen to them. And to say, you know, what's going on in your life? And, this, and it shows that you genuinely care about them, that they're not just people I preach at, you know, because sometimes right. it feels that way as a pastor, that you do a sermon. It's kind of like I'm always telling them what they're supposed to do in a sense. Um, and you always try to keep that demeanor of, of care and pastoral concern when you preach. But a lot of times that doesn't come out depending on the passage. But when you go to their house and you sit there with them and you say, you know, what's what's going on with you or you're there during a difficult time, I think it shows that you really do care. You know, and I and I think there's a difference between a preacher and a pastor. You know, preacher, right. you may be a good preacher and you're not really a good pastor. Some people are good pastors and not good preachers. <laughs> um, and that, that's just the people. But I, I try to be a pastor where I'm going to preach to them and and. and to myself, as I, because whatever I preach, I preach it to myself before I preach it to them, for sure. Um, but I want to be their pastor. I want to tell them to, to be there for them, to mm -hmm. care for them, to meet their needs, to be there to lean on, to bear one another's burdens. I mean, that's what being a pastor is. So visitation is part of that to me. It's a time when I can listen to them. It's a time when I can get to know them personally. Because you see them at church, you know their name, you know them. You say, hey, how are you doing? You go, great sermon. Hope you have a good week. But if you sit there with them, you learn about their family. You learn about what they do for a living. Um, the family pets, 
Now, I've met a lot of family pets where right. you go in their house and here comes a dog jumping yeah. in your lap. So I didn't know you had a dog. So you learn the dog's name and how long they've had the pet and um, the relationships of their family. And just the other day, uh, Dave and I, Dave's our, our worship leader, we went off to visit and a uh, man was going through his family and his granddaughter and said, my granddaughter's married to whoever. And I thought, well, I didn't know that was your granddaughter because... I knew this couple and I'd even spoke to the lady, but I didn't know that was his granddaughter. So well, I didn't know that. So when you learn a lot about the people, the connections, their family history, even that they're related to people in the church, you know, you figure that out as a pastor yeah. too, is who all is related. And the more time you spend with, the more you get to know them. And that's why, you know, I've done a lot of funerals in my year here as, as pastor at Washington. Um, and at those funerals, I know the people personally. You know, it's not somebody that just yeah. came and sat on a pew. I know them. I know their children. I know what they did. I know their testimony. And I think all that comes through visitation. Is it's just time you can spend with them one-on-one, -on -one, hear their real concerns. A lot of things, times they'll tell you stuff by yourself in private than they will in a church building, you know? So that's, I think, the what ha, why visitation is important, what it means to my ministry. And I know a lot of churches have gone, well, I guess bigger churches, a lot of pastors have gone away from it just because of time management, which I get. Um, but it kind of becomes something other people in the church will do, and I think they need to be doing. But for me, it's something the pastor needs to be doing too, just, yeah. just what I'm committed to doing. Absolutely. The personal side to that, the personal side of ministry is, is so valuable. And I think, I mean, a lot of times people that are dealing with grief or maybe they're in the hospital, it's a feeling of isolation mm -hmm. from the rest right. of the world. And just having someone that's there, even if it's just to listen, I feel that that, um, even though I, I haven't necessarily been in that situation, I can imagine that that presence, just being there is, is very valuable, would you say? Oh, definitely. So, yeah, that's, that's what it is. Yes. That they're in that hospital room and, you know, you not many people are going to come by, maybe a family member. Right. But to have somebody else who's not biological family um, to come by and just to sit with you and talk with you or pray with you or before that surgery when you're nervous, mm. any, any kind of surgery, even if it's not a huge surgery, it's huge to you because you're you know, maybe put to sleep, those kind of things. And uh, just to go and to pray with them and to say, hey, I care. I'm here. I'm not the only one praying. Your church family's praying. And it's, I think, gives them a lot of peace and to let them know that we actually do care. They're not just me, but I'm representing the church. You know, the church family cares. Um, and there's been people who have joined our church from an, another church. And I, I called them. They're going through a difficult time. And they said, I'm shocked that you would call me and pray with me over the phone. And I said, well, that's just what we do. You know, if I know what's going on, I'll call you. And they said that they'd never had a pastor, their pastor call them and pray with them over the phone or, or come and visit them ever. Wow. And I said, well, that, at Washington, that shouldn't happen. We're going to be there. Right. Absolutely. Um, and that's not, I'm not tooting my own or what I do. That's just the culture of, the, of Washington. And that's what I want to be as a pastor is to connect with the people. Yeah. Do you have like maybe a story, for instance, where whether it's someone going through grief or someone that's that's in maybe it's a um, physical illness that just being there um, helped in, in a sense? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I can come up with anything specific right off the top of my head, but I mean, um, I would say in all the the people that I go and visit, I can see they're appreciative of it. Um, and after the fact, weeks later, they may come back to me and tell me what it meant. That they've kind of, you know, it's in the moment too. There's a lot of emotions with all that in the in, after a funeral or a hospital surgery. Yeah. But it may be two weeks down the road once things have kind of settled, they'll come back and say, you know, I thought about what you said at this time or what that meant. Um, see, there's definitely been those testimonies um, in my year now being pastor, and I'll say too. I'm the one who receives the blessing from it. Mm -hmm. That's the truth of it. You know, you go visiting people and you think, well, I'm going to go cheer them up. And then when you spend time with them, you leave and you realize you're the one that's been uplifted. And I think that's how God works is that when you 
even sharing the gospel in some ways. When you go and try to fulfill the Great Commission, you're the one that gets the blessing. Absolutely. And that's what I've, I mean, we got dear people at Washington. Some of these senior adults you go and visit, uh, they're homebound. And you just stop by and, and visit them. When I leave, I'm thinking, man, that is, that's a special person. Yeah. And they've impacted me more than I've impacted them. Um, and I think that's just a blessing of it. Absolutely. And, and people think ministry has certainly worked, but, but I, I, can, I can attest to what you're, you're saying, sharing the gospel with people and spending time um, with people that, that, that care. And you know, I think about our, our, our Sunday school class, our young, adults, our young adult Sunday school class. Many of those times, those, those conversations come in. Um, it's, it's uplifting. And even if you're going to try to help somebody else out or maybe have a conversation with somebody else, um, or even if you're spreading the gospel to somebody else, it's a blessing to, to, to yourself as well. And that, that's really an example of God working there. And um, so I, I agree wholeheartedly. But I said, I was, well, we all, all we wanted to cover. I really appreciate you coming on, Trent. This has been, this has been awesome for yeah. sure. Well, I've enjoyed it. And I, I appreciate you and Thomas. Over there Absolutely. too. Absolutely. Thomas but does I, not get enough credit. Uh, Thomas needs all credit. He does. And uh and I appreciate both you guys and your parents because I, I taught you and Thomas both at the learning center and uh very different students, but both yeah. good students. <laughs> and I appreciate Absolutely. Appreciate all y'all did. She meant Absolutely. a lot to me. Thank it's you. good to see your students growing in faith and and that's a testimony to your parents and other people in your life, not, not testimony me. Testimony to you, yes, sir. It's it good is. to see it. It is. I that's appreciate it. Testimony to you, absolutely. So thank my, my honor and joy to be on. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for all that you did and for us and all that. And, of course, I have to thank Thomas. He, he does a phenomenal job. Um, he does all this tech stuff. I, I can't do it. He, no, he's the one either. that does all the work. Uh, I could not do this without him. I'm basically just the guy that sits up here and asks questions. He's the one that actually does most of the work. So. I'm so thankful for Thomas. He is the the producer man, and he does all the, all the hard work. So, but um, Trent, thanks for so much for coming on. I really really appreciate it. It's been great. Are you welcome?